This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, friend. Welcome to this episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Now, we recently had Amelia Shari, who had shared a wealth of information on preventing disordered eating in children. Just to recap, Amelia Shari is a registered and certified dietitian nutritionist who works primarily with children and parents who are struggling with issues related to weight, growth, diabetes, and parent-child feeding dynamics. That means mealtime stress for a lot of people. And she works via New York-based private practice. Now, she was there in the past talking about, you know, how to prevent disordered eating in children. And as we were talking, she shared that she herself has had some struggles with this in the past. And I'm so thankful that she's here to share her personal story and her journey through her disordered eating and how she's been able to cope with that. So thank you so much for joining me, Amelia, and a happy new year to you. Happy new year. Thanks again for having me. I'm happy to be here. All right. So let's start talking about your journey. I'm very excited to know what really happened in your life. And I think that kind of paints, that kind of brings this a full circle in terms of, you know, how you struggle with this and how you're helping other people with what your challenges were. So when did disordered eating really become a problem for you? So I think my eating was pretty disordered right around the time I started dieting. I remember uh, being a freshman in high school and ordering baked potatoes and mustard for lunch, which was pretty abnormal. I wanted to eat, you know, steak sandwiches and pizza and Doritos and cookies and things like everyone else around me, but I was dieting and I was trying really hard to lose weight and low fat diets at the time. I'm aging myself, but that was what was recommended. And I also remember in ninth grade trying to burn off like calories I ate. You know, I remember running to track practice, which was a six mile run. And I wasn't really a good runner or strong rider or like a competitive runner, but I was just doing that to like burn off the calories I ate. So yeah, it started pretty young. And then when I went to college, I went to school at NYU and I remember just walking through the city and just sort of being like, assaulted by all the opportunities to eat. You know, they were endless and I wasn't around my mom. So there was like really no constraints on what I could eat. And I I remember just using whatever money I had to just buy food and I'd eat and eat and eat. And I, I remember doing it in private. Like I wouldn't bring it back to the dorm. I'd sit in in Washington Square and like eat by myself and I might go to one or two restaurants at a time. So I definitely felt very out of control around food as soon as I got some freedom with it. And then, I, of course, I gained a lot of weight, so I was back to dieting again. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, by the time I was ready to graduate college, I was like an expert in, in <laughs> eating and dieting. And I thought I was going to go to law school, so I worked for a law firm for a year, and I eventually found my way into this job working at a women's magazine called American Health. And I used all of my dieting acumen to work my way, you know, up the editorial ladder first as as an assistant editor. And then, you know, I was pitching all these stories that I was researching about workouts and nutrition and weight loss. So it really started in high school and it it just became more and more incorporated into my life as I got older. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, I think what a lot of people experience is that the more restrictive a diet becomes, the more pronounced an eating disorder can become or disordered eating can become, right? And that certainly seems to be the case that for you as well, that this happened when you were, you know, in your school and your college. I definitely share your sentiment. I mean, if you go to New York City, food is everywhere. It's a huge variety of food that's everywhere. So if you're a foodie, quote unquote, then you want to try everything that's out there, right? So did you feel at that time that the way you were doing things like dieting and then just gorging on food, did you feel that that was normal or did you have the sense at any point in time that that was something off, that was something abnormal? I think I felt a lot of shame about my eating, but I certainly didn't think about myself as having an eating disorder, having sort of disordered eating. I wasn't really in, in my lexicon at the time. I didn't really recognize my eating behaviors to be a problem until many, till decades later when I actually became a dietitian in my 30s. When I was doing some of my supervised practice, I was at an eating disorder center and I just found myself really relating to like the behaviors of the the patients and the clients. You know, they were so preoccupied with food. They were so focused on their weight. Everything hinged on everything they ate. And I just really, I could relate to it. I, I did. I still didn't think I had an eating disorder because I never, I never had lost like a ton of weight. And I considered, again, there was like shame about my eating being out of control, but there's also a lot of shame about not being able to be extremely thin and like this emaciated look that I like revered so much. So I still didn't think, you know, I mean, sorry, I just wasn't as successful at, at losing weight. And thank God, I, I, you know, I was a failure in that arena. I never ended up having like a full-blown sort of disorder that put, you know, my health at high risk. But working there also made me realize that eating disorders are very like nuance, like that image I had in my mind of this like very like skinny, emaciated, like young white woman. Like I realized that that actually was was not a thing. And I started to realize that eating disorders are so much more than that. There's so many more body types and races and genders and eating styles and all kinds, unfortunately, too, of like dysfunction with eating. So um, I realized that there is eating disorders like kind of hidden, hidden everywhere. They're sort of like hidden in plain sight. So I think it's really actually important to explain to your listeners too. Like I, I did not have an eating disorder. I was never diagnosed with a clinical eating disorder. I had what I refer to as disordered eating. And those two things are very different. Yeah, and I think we touched on this at great length in, in one of the episodes that we did. I uh, was talking about disordered eating, and then I had a separate episode on eating disorders, especially the ones that relate to obesity. And, you know, I'm just very curious, Amelia, you had initially started out with uh, the desire of practicing law in some form or the other, and now you're here you are as a dietitian. I just wonder if, if your dieting had anything to do with you taking up or you studying for becoming a registered dietitian. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I never was conscious of it at the time, but I followed what I like knew and thought I was good at and wanted to get better at. And actually, we talked to many dietitians can relate to that idea as well as having this like strong emphasis and wanting to just sort of be like a perfect eater and just unravel like the secrets of nutrition and food by, you know, going to school to study it, you know, as part of kind of like a disordered way of thinking about food, just thinking it was going to solve everything and wanting to know, you know, everything they could about it. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't conscious, but, you know, in retrospect, you know, absolutely. And and yeah, my disordered eater, my focus or preoccupation on dieting, being a, a perfect eater really did 
distract me from like other ambitions in my life, you know, sadly too. And I love being a nutritionist and supporting people and helping people in this way. Yeah, but I do recognize that it was a huge distraction. Well, I mean, I think it worked for you, right? Because here you are focusing on doing something that you kind of were sort of passionate about, right? Because this was something that affected you in person. And so now here you are helping others with something that affected you yourself. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I think we all do our best work, right? When we have some skin in the game and some personal experience, um, you know, and especially when we're willing to be like honest and open about it, you know, ugl- ugliness and all. Yeah, for sure. I think it's very important to be, you know, that you have to have that vulnerability and just to kind of be human. And everybody has something or the other that, you know, they're, they're struggling with or some challenges that they have. But, you know, really being vulnerable really helps you move forward, not only personally, but also professionally to help others. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it really helps, especially working in sort of a, like a therapeutic role to be able to relate to what people are going through and sort of the nuances of it and really that like deeper layer that's under there for many of us when it comes to our bodies and our weight. Yeah. Right. I'm just wondering, so when you started having this disordered eating, so you were, and you, you said that you became a dietitian, what, in the early 30s? Mm-hmm. Is that what you, yeah. is that correct? Mm-hmm. Were you still following the same pattern of disordered eating all the way up to till you actually became a registered dietitian and then you reflected on it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what I was doing was dieting. You know, I'm calling it disordered eating now. And at the time, I didn't look at it like that at all. But all through my 20s, I was dieting right up until the time when I became pregnant. Yeah, I was I was dieting and it, and it was very disordered. And I really didn't get a grip on it, I don't think, until I was forced to stop, thank God, when I was pregnant and I just needed, I realized I recognized I need to eat and eat and eat and eat to, to satisfy my body's needs. And, you know, gratefully I was able to do that. Some people, you know, the disorder just takes over so much that they can't. So when you were pregnant and you were about to have your baby and you had to eat, how did that impact you emotionally? Because, you know, here you were trying to be a certain person or trying to fit into a certain image. And then now you recognize that there's a need for you to eat. So how did you manage or balance the two two use, so to say, you know, emotionally? It was very painful and a struggle. And I don't think you need to identify as being like a disordered eater to experience that. I think many women go through it. When I became pregnant, my body was really out of my control at that point. I was gaining weight and and it was extremely disturbing and upsetting. I mean, you have a whole episode just on that. What women go through sometimes when they have been sort of controlling and constraining their body in such a way for so long and now they can't do it. I remember running, we were talking about running right before we got on on this episode and I remember running a race and six months pregnant you know, I was still trying so hard to just maintain my shape and that, you know, not necessarily, that's not necessarily unhealthy for, for people. And some people are in great condition. They can do that. But for me, it was extreme. I mean, I wasn't an extreme athlete, you know, and it was a really difficult time. I wouldn't say I reconciled. I think that some part of me did understand the nutritional needs of my child. You know, I was in school at the time to understand nutrition. So I was able to 
eat and nourish myself. But mentally, it was excruciating. It was very challenging. And and again, full of shame. Like I was so ashamed that I cared so much about how I looked. And again, there's so many layers to it, but there's like a loss of identity in my mind. I was like super fit. This is the person I was, you know, I was working out all the time. I was eating a specific diet with lots of labor. It was a laborious, stressful part of my life, but that's how I identified. And when I wasn't able to do it, it was very disorienting and upsetting. And of course, you're going into this whole new phase of life where now your identity is shifting, you're becoming a parent, your marriage is changing, you know, if you're married. So it was challenging. Yeah, it's almost like having a full-time job, just managing your diet, right? And and here you are now managing a pregnancy and after that going into managing your baby when the baby is born, it just changed the dynamics change so drastically. So what happened? How did you cope up with all of this? How did I cope with all of it? I'd say I'm still coping with it. I mean, I think that, let's see, I I wrestled with it quite a bit. I think my work wanting to go into pediatric nutrition, understanding what goes into teaching kids about food, and then that is really a time when I had to reconcile with my attitudes and beliefs about eating and being healthy. And that's when I realized that my approaches to eating, you know, really, you know, normal eating is about eating when you're hungry, eating foods you enjoy, stopping when you're full or satisfied. It's about being, you know, a healthy, well-balanced or competent eater is also very flexible at foods. If something that they um, isn't their favorite or isn't on their diet per se isn't available, they're okay with that. It isn't like the world is upended. And so I needed to, you know, I'm preaching that to families and needed to understand it for myself as well. So I think it really brought things into focus for me about how maybe the things I had been doing or were trying to readopt or adapt into my life as a parent just like really weren't balanced or healthy or or normal at all. And as I was, you know, with infants and toddlers, a little different, but as my girls started getting older, I had to be very, very intentional about what I was presenting to them in terms of what was okay to eat. You know, it's really necessary that we force ourselves to, you know, eat this and that because it's healthy and say no to X, Y, and Z because it has sugar in it. You know, those weren't balanced. They were very rigid ways of eating. And I didn't want that to be something I presented to my kids. Yeah. You know, we were talking about this, I think before the, we recorded the previous episode and you had mentioned that, especially last year with the, with the COVID, a lot of things changed. I mean, your family, and I'm just wondering, you know, you talk to other parents about, you know, preventing disordered eating and how they should manage the eating patterns of their children and help them develop healthy eating patterns. But how do you do that in your life? And what happened during those COVID times? Well, two things really happened during the pandemic. One thing is that my old behaviors and disorders sort of came back into focus for me personally at first. I think anytime I get very stressed out or things feel very under out of control, that I definitely revert to dieting. You know, it's a way that I cope coped with things in the past when I was uncomfortable or concerned, sort of try to get control by getting my eating under control. That was going in like getting enacted the beginning of the pandemic when everything was so uncertain. I wasn't sure if I would still have my job at the hospital. I wasn't, you know, having kids at home. And it was just, I know it was a dark time for everyone. And, you know, and I wasn't excluded from that. And so I immediately was like, oh, if I, I just need to get things back in order with my eating. I just need to start running again. I just need to, we need to get things under control and then I'll be able to cope which of course is a total lie. I needed to cope with what I was feeling and not start focusing on this outside thing, which was, 
you know, now being older and having gone through this, I was able to recognize it and sort of push that urge down and, and be more thoughtful about what was really bothering me. But um, the other thing that started to happen is that one of my daughters started gaining weight and then I was faced with, wow, oh my gosh, all these things I really, you know, that I've been helping parents with. Here I was like really put to the test with how to eat, how to deal with it. And it was a huge eye opener for me. Yeah, I mean, the things that I used, I had to just really settle down mentally and realize that, you know, if she gained some weight, it really wasn't a big deal. I needed to go right back to what was going on differently. We weren't moving around as much. There was no structure to our eating. I immediately, you know, forgot, oh yeah, like my kids need a snack at three o'clock and we need to have lunch, you know, so we put that back in place right away. Um, not really as a means to control her weight, but more for me to just feel like, okay, I'm doing the things I need to do and the chips will, you know, fall as they may for my kids. I need to do the parts I need to do as a parent, provide the meals at, you know, regular intervals. And then I just need to let them eat as much or as little as they need to. And yeah, I need to go out of my way to find that extra activity for them because it's going to help us all feel less stressed. It's going to help us go to sleep at night. You know, and luckily I, you know, I had the ability to do that. I know it wasn't possible for, for so many parents at that time. And that's totally fine. You know, it's normal to gain weight in times of stress. It's normal to put on weight if we're not moving around as much. It all made total sense. I think it's the way that we react to it that really made a huge difference. And also people, you know, there's some research about like, and I think I suffered from it as well. You know, I say that my daughter gained weight when it was time to get her checkup, her BMI percentile was, you know, just exactly where it had been tracking. And I think a lot of it was also my perception. And there's a, there's research on that, that parents perceive their children's weight to be, they're not so great at judging their child's weight and that they might, you know, my anxiety about it was definitely, there was a risk of me putting pressure on her eating in a way that, you know, it wasn't obviously going to be helpful at all and also wasn't even accurate. Right. So, you know, we talk about stress actually causing some of our old habits to come back, which we find comforting. That certainly happened for you. So what did you learn about, you know, how you could manage these stressful situations and how do you cope on these stressful situations in your life? Well, lots of therapy. Now, I think you know, getting the support that we need for the, if we, you know, if we can, getting that support, talking to friends, things that we do to really address like our mental health and not obscure the issue by just saying, well, you know what, it's because I'm overweight. You know, if I got my weight in control, then like things will be better. I mean, just being realistic about it and understanding that the two, you know, are not related at all, frankly. So Amelia, what would be the one tip that you would like to leave our listeners with, you know, especially who are dealing with the stress or are worrying too much about their child having gained some extra weight over you know, this last one year? What would you recommend to them? The most important thing is to avoid talking about weight with your child. So if you're dieting or you feel compelled to diet or yourself or whether you're really concerned about your child's weight, it is extremely important to avoid talking about it, um, either about yourself or about their weight to your child, especially young children, adolescents, and even teenagers as well. I'm writing a book and I just re reviewed a lot of the research on this and it's very compelling. So multiple studies have looked at the impact of parental weight talk 
on children and they find that it's linked to a higher risk of eating disorders and binge eating and ironically, even weight gain, even in kids who haven't previously had challenges with their weight. So we really want to avoid that. If that feels challenging to you, you're not sure how to talk about food because parents always say to me, oh, what do I say? We could just talk about healthy eating. We're going to eat this because it tastes good or because it keeps our bodies healthy. That's a lot more protective and positive than linking your eating with weight. And I think we talked about that before. This is really, yeah. really it's a really important concept and it can be challenging, but I would take heed and, and do that as much as you can. You just mentioned about a book that you're writing. Tell me more about that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm writing a book about the intentional feeding mindset, which is this system or approach that I use with the parents I work with. And it's all about being very intentional about how you talk to your children about food and eating and weight so that the intention is to help them avoid having dysfunction with their own eating and prevent developing not just, you know, full-blown eating disorder, but this disordered eating, which is, um, I think, even more common. There's like 30 million Americans have an eating disorder in this country at any given time. And I believe that disordered eating is even more common than that. So we really want to prevent that in our children. Disordered eating is a precursor to a full-blown eating disorder. And, and I consider dieting to be a form of disordered eating. So we want to avoid that, especially with our with our children who are so, so vulnerable. When are you planning to release that book? The first draft is going to my editor on February 1st. So pretty soon. I don't know exactly when it will be released, but I would love to tell you about it as soon as I know. Yeah. yeah, I would love to know. Yeah, please do let me know. Well, thank you so much, Amelia, for joining me and uh, you know sharing your story and uh, coming forth and being vulnerable. I think that's it's very difficult for people to do that, and I, I really appreciate that you came forth and you know talked about it. At the same time, I think it's very inspiring for people to know that there are a lot of people who do suffer from a lot of this stuff, and there is enough help around there to kind of help them cope with all of this. Well, thank you so much for joining me again, and uh, well, that's all we have time for today. And I'll see you all next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.